Now for all of you, the rest of you, here's a little fun fact about me. I am really good at doing Christmas. I'm not sure if it's the American in me or maybe it's the way that my mom raised me, um, but give me a chocolate calendar, a reason to decorate, and an extra opportunity to plan a party, or maybe you're four, and I am your girl. Well, around five years ago, I remember needing something more. I was doing all the things on the outside, but I wanted to feel Christmas. I remember that feeling particularly, I think the word is hollow. And honestly, looking back on Grace with myself that particular year, there's a multitude of totally valid reasons I was feeling that way, but I was just trying to fix it. Um, and I looked when, fix it when I was looking for meaning in places that were, were, were my happiness triggers were not working that particular Christmas. And around that time, I stumbled upon an Advent study. For those, are, for those of you who are totally unfamiliar with the concept, we have Advent chocolate calendars, which is the idea of leading us up into Christmas. But Advent is originally and purely a time in the church calendar in the lead up to Christmas. It usually starts about four Sundays before Christmas with time of reflection every day until the big day. And there's lots of ways to honor this tradition, but I knew that I just needed something simple, something we could carry on as a family, um, a loose tradition that would flex with us no matter where we were during the Christmas holidays. So I pulled out four decorative candles from around my house, plonked them in a wreath that I already pulled off of my door, and every night we read a, we read a chapter from the Jesus Storybook Bible while my son Micah was allowed to play with a nativity set. We've carried this on. Some days I do a personal study and some days I don't. But every week on Sunday, we start to light a new candle until all four candles are lit right before Christmas. I'm not saying this action took away totally what was going on in my heart that particular year, but it slowed me down enough to start the healing process. And it has become something that's incredibly special within our family as we're finding ourselves returning to it every year. It's simple, it's quiet, it's reflective, it's soulful, in the middle of all the craziness. Some of it that I know I create for myself. <laughs> and I don't tell you all of this to share how holy we are as a family. I, every year, I'm, but I share it because every year I'm humbled and I've learned some powerful lessons through this simple little tradition. And this year, one of the biggest lessons I've take so far, taken so far is the value of waiting. You talked a little bit about this earlier with Craig when we talked about anticipation for something that's coming, but also the value of waiting and sitting in the attention when things are a little bit uncertain. In December 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the following in a letter to his family from a Nazi prison. Celebrating Advent in this lead up to, Christ this lead up to Christmas means being able to wait. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it's hardly finished planting the shoot. For the greatest, most profound, tenderest things in the world, we must wait. Whatever we're waiting for happens not here in the storm and immediately, but according to the divine laws for sprouting, growing, and becoming. Now waiting. What I've learned is that to do it well is to remember what God has done in the past 
and using that to trust what he's holding you to in that moment and hoping that what in the future is good. And if any, ooh, sorry, if anyone in the, had the practice of waiting down, it was the Israelites and their story woven completely throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes they did it well, sometimes not so much. From Genesis to Malachi, the whole first half of the Bible that we have here, God's word tells us with twists and turns and surprises on every page. There are warriors and queens and heroes and people wandering in the wilderness and in all of their lives throughout the whole Old Testament from beginning to the end, God is telling them in one great big message, you need a savior and he's coming soon. Trust me. Trust me. If you've been with us for the last six weeks, you know we've been hanging out in this tension-filled space. We have been hanging out in the book of Malachi. It's that last little tiny book in the Old Testament right before we jump into the Gospels. For me personally, reading it has kind of felt like a fight between um, an angsty teenager and an angsty, strong-willed teenager tired of waiting and a frustrated, heartbroken parent. Two family members with some deep, long-held hurts that love each other, but they're hashing it out. And what did we learn in those six weeks? That even when they didn't feel like it, even when the Israelites didn't feel like it, God has always loved them that he was merciful in their obstinate messiness. He had a plan for justice and the injustice that they were experiencing. And ultimately, as Pastor Ruby told us last week, they needed a savior. And if we looked, or to be honest, let ourselves look close enough, there were some valuable truths that many of us needed to hear as well. But what happened after that conversation with Malachi was fit, and that conversation between God and the Israelites and Malachi was finished? Well, as we learned last week, it went quiet for about 400 years, actually. That is a long time to wait in relative silence. Through it all, history continued to march on. We can look in the history books at school to see that the Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Maccabeans, and finally the Romans all took their turn at coming to power. And the Jews, well, many of them worked hard to maintain their traditions through those changes in power, but it was hard with the influences invading the culture around them. Still, they clung to their promise of the Messiah. Why? Because God said one was coming. They, throughout this whole Old Testament, he said it over and over and over again. They believed that this Messiah would, based on what they had read, they believed that this Messiah would blow all these world-dominating, domineering, promiscuous powers out of the water. I'm sure they whispered dreams as they shared their stories and their history over and over again about what this hero could look like. In fact, I'm sure some of their dreams wouldn't be too far off the world of our favorite Marvel superheroes that we see today. Then, out of the silence, seemingly out of nowhere, in a sleepy little town of about 100 people, comes this random story found in Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. If you want to pull out your Bibles, you'll go ahead and read this here. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose, to pub- her, to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what, she, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him, and he gave him the name Jesus. Surprise! Behold, your son is here, and he's coming as a baby. Wait, this is what the Israelites have been waiting for for so long? God, are you sure about that? Is the, we were hoping for something a little bit bigger, but okay. In the practice of waiting, sometimes things get hard, and sometimes the answers come to, back to us in unexpected ways. And to, to really understand, to know what is true, to know if this is really from God, we have to remember what God has said and what he's done. In the book, Matthew, in this whole book that we are reading from today, Matthew has put together a well-crafted eyewitness compilation that carried weighty proof that essentially said, I have evidence that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Yes, that baby is the Messiah. Here it is. And he uses, Matthew, the author of this book, uses the power of their generational memory to help prove his point. It's as if he's saying, guys, Remember what God said about the Messiah with this prophet or in this prophet, in this story, in this analogy, in this book, in the Old Testament? At the time, it was just, it wasn't the Old Testament. It was just scriptures as they knew it. He said, yeah, this is how Jesus meets it. He's constantly asking them to remember by linking the Old Testament and their Jewish history to the Jesus of the present. In fact, Did you know that throughout the whole book, he points to 96 specific Old Testament references? It's one of the most out of any of the New Testament books that refers back to the Old Testament. And 12 of those, which are verses about the Messiah specifically. This author was very detailed, and he was trying to prove who Jesus was. Let's take a look at our first example. I want you to glance, if you have your Bibles in front of you, or if you're on your phone, you glance over or you scroll up at that long list of names that we missed before our reading today. It's called the genealogy. A lot of you are familiar with it. He didn't just put that in there because it was the right thing to do at the time. He was using this list of names to prove to his readers that Jesus was of the lineage of David. This was capital I important to the Jews. They knew that the Messiah was to come from the line of David. They were told that over and over again in the Old Testament. One of the clear ones was the promise from God to David himself in 2 Samuel when he said, David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, 
I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In fact, this was so important that eight other times in the book of Matthew, the title Son of David is applied to Jesus, reminding his readers of this very important fact. Now we move to what we read today. We see another example in the heavy emphasis on Mary's virginity. And over three times of the seven verses, the short seven verses that we read today, it's mentioned or alluded to. Why? Well, as Rachel was talking about earlier, this is in the wonder of the fact that Jesus was both fully God and fully human. He was helping them wrap their minds around that. But also because of the prophecy Matthew mentioned made by the prophet Isaiah that we read in verse 22, Matthew 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As the book goes on and on throughout Jesus' life, we see more and more examples of like this, including identifying Bethlehem as the place of Jesus' birth, Um, his early life, things that would happen in his early life about where he would live, facts about his ministry, facts about his death, and facts about his resurrection, all foretold in the Old Testament. Consequently, I could, I got really into researching this, guys. I could spend my whole time up here talking about this, but I'm not going, I'm not going to. The point is this. In their season of confusion and waiting, in uncertainty, Matthew is asking his Jewish readers this. Remember God, remember who God said the Messiah would be. Use that to make sense and trust what Jesus has in front of you. This call to remember is something that our family has clung to here in 2022. This year, I have officially dubbed for the Byrne family as the year of waiting and whiplash. We've had good news, we've had bad news, we've had unexpected news, and news that didn't quite come fast enough. In February, in one example, in February this year, we were told that our son was found unresponsive on the school playground. He and my husband, Callum, were rushed to the ED via ambulance, and when I walked into the room, he was conscious, but unable to speak, and was valiantly fighting the nurse to have his blood drawn. Yeah, kid. I promptly burst into tears, and the nurse nurse wearily looked from him to me, him to me, and said, I think we're just going to take a break from this for a minute and let mom and Micah calm each other down. I pulled him into my arms and looked up to see Callum sitting across from the bed from us, obviously with his hands up, obviously praying over us. Micah and I both eventually calmed down, and I snuck a glance at My phone buzzed, so I snuck a glance at the text, hoping it was more information from the school so we could better understand what we were dealing with. Instead, it was something totally different. It was a text from my oncologist. He was confirming, weeks early, mind you, that my tests were clear. And after five and a half years of cancer treatment, I was finally, officially finished. And there was no cancer left to be seen in me. I took the phone and threw it at Callum, um, and it was his turn to panic and then immediately tear up. He looked at me and said, do you even know what I was just praying? 
I was, I was praying, Lord, we don't have to have immediate answers right now. We don't even have to have solutions. But Jesus, please just show up and show us that you are here in this moment so that we know we can carry on. Remember what he's carried us through, Trista. Remember what he can do. Over the next couple months, we navigated a new messy normal trying to figure out what was happening with our son as he faced more regular seizures and unclear solutions. And this prayer, this mantra, this became our mantra to each other when we felt at a loss, and sometimes our only prayer when we didn't know what to pray. Lord, we remember what you have already done, and because of that, we trust what you are doing and that you are in this, and we also hope, here is our hope of what you will continue to do in this situation. Now, we've seen what happens when you remember. But I'm not going to lie, that second part of that prayer, it's really hard to do. And I can't be the only one in this room that has prayed it with gritted teeth. Lord, we trust what you're doing here, but if you could hurry up and make it clear what I'm supposed to take out of this, I'd really appreciate it. And when we're faced with unexpected twists in our own stories, our faith is stretched. The waiting can some, the hard type of waiting can seem unbearable. And to today's passage, we have two examples of people who chose to lean in and trust, even though their lives, their reputations, and even their marriage was on the line. We get to look back and say, this is such a sweet story. It's the Christmas story. There's angels. But think about it. If they were living it in the moment, it would have been really hard. By all intents and purposes, Mary and Joseph seem like two sweet, humble people from Nazareth. They're about to celebrate their marriage and start their life together. How exciting! Now, my rough understanding, this isn't my place of expertise, and my rough understanding, read extensive Google search and rabbit hole of the way Jewish engagements work is this. It was traditionally a three-part process. First, you're engaged. This is set up by families, and usually when the woman is very young, um, and it's really, it's a promise, but the details are still being worked out. And then you have betrothal. This is, you're married in the eyes of the law, but you haven't had the ceremony, you're not living together yet, the woman is still a virgin. It takes about a year for this whole process. It's waiting, it's a waiting period. And then finally, you have the ceremony, which is so days long in the marriage, and they move into the same home, and they start to have babies, and they live happily ever after. But the problem was, in this story, they hadn't quite got to that third part yet. They were still in that second part. They were married by the eyes of the law, but not necessarily by society. So if, the young, if any young bride during that time is shown to be unfaithful during that second period of betrothal, or worst case scenario, pregnant. The shame level would be high. According to Jewish law, her husband could divorce her. It could be public, it could be ugly. I even read sometimes some instances of stoning. All to heap shame on that person, for because the shame on the woman for what she had done to the man. Instead, Joseph chose to respond with a quiet divorce to protect his Mary. He didn't know what was going on. He was probably very confused, but he said, you know what, I'm to protect her reputation. 
but because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In my office, we were discussing this story, and my coworker said to me, I've got to tell you, the real hero of this story, in my opinion, is Joseph. That man does not get enough credit. I mean, I have been married for 15 years, but if my fiance informed me she was pregnant before we were married, and I know there's absolutely no way it could have been mine, and then she turned to me and said, but oh, no, 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 it's okay, honey, it's God's. Be like, all right, okay, where's the door? <laughs> I have to say I agree with him. Joseph's actions say a lot about his character and his grace. Even the Bible calls him a righteous man. And here's where the story starts to get crazy, even more crazy. An angel shows up to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Can you imagine being in Joseph's position? So even if this didn't make sense, his next action, he chose to trust what God was doing and take the action. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And then she, she gave, he gave him the name Jesus. Side note, wouldn't it be nice if an angel showed up in all of our times of confusion and waiting and uncertainty? It would make the whole trusting God thing a whole lot easier, right? Okay, let's talk about Mary. We don't hear a lot about Mary in the passage that we read today, but if you skip over to Luke 1, verse 26 to 45, sometime in the next couple days, there's a detailed version about how Gabriel appeared to her and says, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when Mary saw him, she was troubled, obviously. That would be a normal response. The angel told her not to be afraid and then continued to turn her whole world upside down. He told her she was going to conceive a son named Jesus. Mary didn't understand how this could happen because, well, she was a virgin. The angel explained that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would become pregnant with the Son of God. Mary then continues to tell the angel, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Okay, Mary, you are a better woman than I am. Both Mary and Joseph's responses to trusting God astounds me. Like I said earlier, their lives, reputations, and their marriage were all on the line with this one change of their story. They didn't know how this was going to play out. We have the benefit of reading, knowing the rest of the story. They don't. They just needed to trust him in that moment, and God had the rest. We may not have angels frequently frequenting us here on the regular, but we do have the Holy Spirit and Scripture at our disposal. These are gifts from God to us. These are another way that God communicates with us. And over and over and over again throughout the Bible, we're asked to trust God. Here's a quick fire handful. Psalm 37 verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Or Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not so much more valuable than they? Can any one of you add by worry, wor can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Or my personal favorite from Psalm 112, a verse that's carried me through so much. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I love this because the verse isn't saying bad news never isn't going to happen. But what it is saying is that I don't need to fear it because I trust in the Lord. We can learn so much from Mary and Joseph's faith-filled responses, tied with the script of Scripture and the Holy Spirit that we have, even if it's not our first inclination to do the same. Remember what God has done. Trust what he is doing in the moment. But then it doesn't stop there. In our waiting, we must remember what God has done in our lives to trust what he is doing in the present and finally remember in hope what he will continue to do. In Advent, they light a can an Advent that each one of the different candles is often represents something else. And we often talk about hope for being the first week of December. And this week, this last week, we, the week before, we really talked about the hope and how much courage it takes to hope and trust what God is doing into the future. We all know what happens nine months after the glorious angel appearance to Mary and Joseph. If you don't, you heard a little bit about it from Rachel today, but when you go back and you read that chap when that book of Luke, spoiler alert, it involves a last-minute trip to Bethlehem, more prophecies being fulfilled, a stable, shepherds, angels, again, and essentially a crazy unexpected birth for the Messiah of the world. Surprise, that promised baby boy, he's here. Joseph follows through on the command to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus mean the, means the Lord is salvation. Even in the name that he was to give Jesus was a promise for a hope of what he was going to do in the future. See, here's the thing. At the end of December, we usually end the Christmas story and go on to our, go on to our summer holidays but there's so much work. We can't help but see where God is working beyond that. Over, and the benefit is over the next few weeks, if you come the next few Sundays, we're going to see how this surprise, this surprise of hope, is, continues to carry on through Jesus' life and ultimately his death and resurrection and the hope that there is for us in that. But even then, it doesn't end with Jesus' resurrection and some nice stories in the Bible. It doesn't end there. Crossroads Church, we are the continued part of this story. If we let him, we get to be a continued part of that hope and continue to see what he will do through us and tell the world what, we get to, what has been happened to us. In July, which was only six months after our first hospital adventure with Micah, we finally received a more favorable diagnosis, as well as a change in medication that immediately reduced his seizures to zero. Zippo. Nada. After feeling them and seeing them every day. We have not seen one since then, and it still brings us to tears every now and then. And we know six months isn't that long when so many people in the same situation have gone longer. 
We felt in July, we felt like we could finally let go of that breath that we were holding in the waiting and in the prayers that we had been praying and in the comfort that we had been taking from the Lord throughout the process, in the difficult trusting through those gritted teeth prayers. But even crazier, that same week in July, we found out we were unexpectedly five weeks pregnant with a baby that we didn't know that we could have. Or if my body would even continue to hold it. And yet here we are, 27 weeks along, and he's continue, we continue to see his hope and his promise and his story through this life. Callum and I know how blessed we are, but we wanted to share this story to offer you hope because here's the thing. Before we even received any of that good news, we had hoped that God would work it out for good, whether it was the way that we expected it to and the way that we desperately wanted it to or not, because we know that our God is good. We also know that for some people, our story is hard to hear. In every part of our journey, cancer, epilepsy, uncertain fertility, we have met people who have been waiting for years and see what, to see what God will do next. And like the Israelites, they may not see the completion of their story in the way that they expected to see it in their lifetime. This particular Christmas, I'm not sure what your Advent or what your Christmas looks like. Last week, we were singing The Goodness of God by Bethel. And I looked around and I saw faces. I was sitting over there and I was looking over here while I was seeing, and I am blessed to know many of your stories. I saw faces of friends and people that I know are entering into this Christmas season, facing broken hearts, uncertain futures, recent miscarriages, chronic sicknesses, new diagnoses, and grieving souls. Christmas is hard facing all of those things. I see those of you that are tending old wounds caused by the church um, at large, yet bravely coming back to meet God in this space. And yet many of you were still singing or trying to sing because you were reminding yourself of what you know to be true, even when it doesn't feel like it right now. And there are those of you that I would looked at, and I know your stories have seen, you've seen, you too have seen miracles, and you are seeing that song because you have recently seen his goodness firsthand, and you couldn't help but sing it from the top of your lungs. So I have homework for each of us, church. After church, when you go out into the cafe or when you're going to be sharing your lunch together, you're going to see three brown pieces of paper in the cafe window. All of us are at different stages as we're entering into this Advent season, whether we're anticipating with joy or waiting with anxiety. But I want us to spend some time sharing with each other and writing it down. On those brown pieces of paper, choose, choose one of them to write on, whether it's, I remember what God has done. Listen and see what God has done in my life. It's amazing to, I even, even through what I'm going through, I trust in him to this is what I hope is going to happen. Go ahead and take a Sharpie that's out there and write on it. And let's go ahead and see as a church what we are going through. Let's share our good stories. Let's share our hard stories. And let's wait together. This story of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus reminds us that our God is a promise keeper. This life 
that we're celebrating this Advent and Christmas season is the start of one of the greatest promises he has kept, and he will keep going. One day, Jesus Christ will come again, and there will be no more suffering and no more waiting, and that is a gift that he has for each one of us, not just the regular churchgoers, not just the special people, but every single person. Church, today I want you to remember what our God has done, to remember and trust in what he is doing in your waiting and in your anticipation, and remember what he will continue to do. Lord, there is some things in here that are um, hard for us to take, and there are some things that we can't help but celebrate, and God, we are so thankful for that. Jesus, I ask that you be with each one of the people who are sitting in these seats today, that they find themselves where you need them to be, and that you meet each other in whatever place of waiting they may be in. Lord, thank you for where you have taken us. Thank you where you have us at the moment, and the fact that you have us, even if we don't feel like it. And Lord, we just thank you for giving us a place to put our hope for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.